Turn with me, if you would, church family, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Uh, we're continuing our series of following Jesus to discipleship. What we've covered over the last couple of weeks are the things that Jesus has taught us from Luke 9 that are things if we really want to be a disciple. And there are some things that if you really want, you just got to be willing to do what is required. You want a Popeye's chicken sandwich? You got to be willing to wait in a really long line right now. Amen. Uh, If you want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's taught us that you have to deny yourself. And in Luke 9, what self-denial for a disciple means is complete dependence on Jesus. It means seeking to make others great and myself least and never looking back. There's that constant tension we face to go back to the junk that was in our lives before Jesus saved us. We also have learned that following Jesus means following him in obedience. And if we follow Jesus in obedience, what we realize is that he invites us to live a deeper purpose. And in following him, we get real life instruction by his example, how to live obediently. And we also find inspiration by being in his presence as we are following after him to stay committed to obedience in every area of our life. But if you've been following along in Luke 9, you've noticed a a conspicuous absence that we haven't addressed yet. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, I've got this on the screen. I want to read it for you this morning. Jesus says to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Did you catch it? What we have yet to cover is the core of what discipleship means. And that is a daily taking up of our cross in obedience to the statement of Jesus in Luke chapter 9. To follow Jesus, simply put, church family, you have to take up your cross daily. And you might take a moment to consider what that means in our culture today. In our culture today, taking up your cross is a way that we kind of associate ourselves with Jesus. And some of you today are probably wearing a cross necklace because of that representation or that association. Uh, At White's Ferry Road, we're a little bit crazy. We're a front lines church. We want to live in a way that makes disciples out of people that are broken and messed up who really love God learn to love others and really follow after Jesus. So some of our members and attendees actually would probably be able to point to a cross tattoo on a certain part of your body. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I know y'all are out there. So the cross has come to, to be a symbol of solidarity with Jesus, a symbol that I'm a follower, a symbol that I want to be associated with him. We've got clothes with crosses on them. Some of us have tattoos. Some of us have jewelry with crosses. And that's a part of it. The cross is certainly a symbol of our association with the life and lifestyle of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our culture also, the cross has kind of become this colloquial phrase. You've probably said it before, and I promise you, if you hadn't said it, you've heard it. Some of us would say things like, oh, this certain issue in my life that I'm dealing with is just a cross that I carry. It's a cross that I carry. 
And we take that from this statement right here in Luke 9. This, this, this issue, this particular struggle, this certain situation, it's a cross that I carry. Or we might have said it a little more generally. Oh, this certain thing is just, it's a burden that I bear. And that's also a part of what taking up our cross daily means. And those things certainly help and serve a purpose in our day-to-day life. But really taking up your cross daily means something much deeper and much more profound than just wearing a piece of jewelry or having a tattoo that associates us with Jesus or, or that, that, that connects us with the burden we have to bear. Ladies and gentlemen, the cross in Jesus' day was a symbol of death. And if we really want to follow after Jesus... If we really want to be an authentic disciple, then we have to be prepared to lose our life. Taking up your cross daily means just that. That's what Jesus ends up saying in Luke 9, 24. You want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you really want and are willing to lose your life for my sake, you're going to save it. And Jesus is not talking about a spiritual, a physical death here. He's referencing a spiritual death. And he's asking any who really want to follow him to spiritually die every single minute of every single day if that's what's required to live as a real, authentic disciple who follows after Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, in a few Different places. I just want you to jot these down if you're taking notes or if you're following along in your app. I want you to write them down. Romans 12.1. Paul talks about this. You know this verse. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, every single day, put your spirit into the hands of God and be willing to spiritually die to yourself and be led and directed and motivated and live within the will of the Spirit of God that He places inside of us. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and yet I still live. He goes on to say, the life I live in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Paul's not talking about a physical crucifixion. He's saying, spiritually, I have been crucified and my old spirit is dead and now I live a life in the flesh as a mortal human being by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave His all, His very life, so that I could find true life in Him. Colossians 3, 5, he puts it like this. Paul does Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he gives us an idea of what that's like. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Put those away, but don't just put them in a closet or store them in a drawer that no one can see. In fact, put them to death. Any kind of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity, lust, evil desire, or greed... Anything that is in your flesh that would lead you away from the Lordship of Jesus Christ in obedience to God the Father and back into the prison from which God delivered you spiritually when He saved you. We talk about this in our culture today 
maybe with the phrase going all in. And I've coached youth sports, I've got young kids, and I'm just captivated by that idea. And I'll tell my kids, sons or daughter, leave it all on the field. Man, don't hold anything back. Give it every single thing that you've got. Be willing to go until you can't go anymore, and then go a little bit farther. And so often it's moments like that in the lives of other people that are the most inspiring to all of us. I uh, was watching this television series called Alone. And I watch these television series and I always think, you know what, I could do that. But Josh is right. You know, I just need, I've needed good mentors like him in my life to help me achieve that kind of stuff. And I haven't had that. Josh hadn't done a very good job mentoring me yet. So you, you guys hold him to that. In, in the... In the, in the television show alone, these people are in some, like, remote wilderness in sub-zero temperatures, and they're all by themselves. And the competition is to see who can survive out there the longest. And so the finale was this week, and the, and the guy who ended up winning had survived 73 days out in the wilderness and eaten things I hate to even mention in public to survive. And, and his, at the very end of the show, his wife walks up behind him and surprises him. He has no idea that he's won. And he turns around and sees her. And in that moment, it, it inspired me. And I'm not a very emotional guy, but if I'm being honest, I was choking back some tears. That's what I love about the idea of climbing Mount Everest, man. Nobody gets to the summit who's not really willing to go all in, to risk it all, to leave it all on the field, to give it everything that they've got and being designed in the image of God, church family, listen to this, being designed in God's image and have eternity setting within our heart by the design of God means that there's a reason why people who are willing to go that far and make that kind of sacrifice and commit to that level and take that kind of risk inspires us. There's a reason for that. Because it's because that's how God's designed us. God has designed us to be disciples who are willing to give it all. And we're inspired when we see that in others. What does that really look like? What does it really look like when a disciple is authentically following after Jesus, prepared to lay it all on the line? I want to show you from Scripture in Luke's Gospel, Luke 23, verse 46. This is a very profound moment in the text. We talked about communion and, and Jesus' eager, eager anticipation of eating the Passover. And what we, what we learn is that Jesus is the Passover lamb. He is the sacrifice that leads to and can deliver any human being from captivity to sin and death. And he eventually pays the ultimate price. And becomes that sacrifice. At this moment, he has been beaten. He has been humiliated. And he has been on the cross for hours. In pain so agonizing and so overwhelming, it's beyond our comprehension. And in verse 46, Jesus utters the last statement he will ever say in his earthly life. And he calls out in verse 46 with a loud voice. And he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
And when he had said this, he breathed his last. You want to know what total surrender really looks like? What really losing your life is illustrated by? You can see it right here. This is the final moment of Jesus' life. And it is his greatest demonstration of total surrender. You see, for Jesus, denying self, taking up his cross and following after the will of God wasn't just a turn of phrase, church family. It wasn't just lip service. It wasn't just something that he preached and taught because it sounded good or it was a platitude that he knew generations after him would, would associate themselves with by a cross necklace or even a tattoo or, or a unique phrase to describe a struggle they had. It was more than a statement for Jesus. A cross-bearing lifestyle was his way of life and it is the example he sets for you and for me if we really want to be a disciple. In this phrase, we see a few qualities of what a cross-bearing life actually is. The first, in Luke 23, 46, is that a cross-bearing life is an aggressive pursuit of God. Jesus would be in critical condition at this moment in his life with no energy left, with no motivation, with, with nothing but one breath in his lungs. And because of Jesus' surrender to the Father and love for God, his last breath, he musters up this, this energy. He, he gets aggressive in his pursuit of God, and he doesn't just whisper in a soft and broken voice, which would have been certainly understandable. Father. But he musters up all his strength and all his energy And all of his sense of purpose, and in that moment, cries out with a loud voice to God the Father. Real disciples aggressively pursue God. Church family, when is the last time you cried out to your Father, to God, with an aggressive abandon? When's the last time you 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 stopped caring about what others thought about how badly you needed God and how desperately you were for God and how aggressively you were pursuing God and just pursued God with reckless abandon. When's the last time you opened your Bible as though it was a matter of life and death and pursued God aggressively with energy and with purpose, no matter how tired you got, no matter how fatigued you were, no matter how alone you felt? When did you really last aggressively pursue a connection with God? Crossbearers learn that they can always give a little bit more. Crossbearers learn that they can always put in a little bit more effort. Crossbearers learn that they can always work a little bit more. They can push a little bit more. They can keep going a little bit more. They can take the next step. They can continue to stand. They can find the strength to make it through one more second and mustering up everything you've got within you. Cry out to God in a loud voice. That's the image of what a crossbearing life is. Someone who just does a little bit more. 
In Luke 23, 46, we also see that a cross-bearing life is a life in which an authentic commitment to God is the governing principle of life. The next part of that verse, Jesus says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. The Greek word for spirit in this text is pneuma. In the New Testament, sometimes it refers to the Holy Spirit and sometimes it refers to life. And in this case, it refers to Jesus' life and his whole being. Think about this. Up to this point, Jesus had passed through. Listen to me, church. Up to this point, Jesus had passed through some hands that were hurtful. The hands of men put Jesus in prison. The hands of men beat and tortured Jesus. The hands of men humiliated him and abused him and tried to break him. The hands of men crucified our Lord. The tragedy is these were the hands of the very men who should have been trusted and had credibility and had integrity and recognized Jesus for who he really was. And for some of you, that's your story. You have passed through the hands of some hurtful people. Some people you should have been able to count on and you should have been able to trust. And instead of being able to count on and trust those hands, those hands hurt. And in the cross, on this very occasion, in these very words, Jesus totally commits himself into the hands of the Father. And what we find when we totally commit ourselves to the hands of the Father is that we find ourselves in hands of healing. Hands that mend up our broken heart and and bind up our wounds. We find ourselves in the hands of hope when we find ourselves in the hands of God. We find ourselves in hands that help us, that can be counted on to help our time of trouble and our struggles and ultimately hands of honor that restore our dignity and deliver us back into the grace of God Himself. We ultimately find ourselves in hands of holiness because the hands of God can take any moment of hurt and help us grow And become more like Jesus as a result of our pain. Committing ourselves into the hands of God is simply committing ourselves into the only hands that can always be trusted, that will never fail. And then Jesus breathes his last in Luke 23, 46. And in so doing, he illustrates perfectly That what's required really in authentic discipleship is an absolute all-in surrender. Jesus is saying, Father, I've given you everything. 
Every temptation that I faced, every trial, every tribulation, I have done away with my will and I have lived according to your will because the will of Jesus was ultimately to do the will of the Father. And he's saying, God, I've given you everything, every minute, every second, every day of my life, and now I'm giving you my very last. God, you have it all. He's holding nothing back. Living the cross-bearing life, church family, is one of and maybe the most beautiful paradoxes of discipleship. Not every one of us can be strong enough to be victorious. But every single one of us can become weak to find strength. Every single one of us can give up to win. We can all completely spiritually surrender to find true life. That's what we see in Luke twenty three forty six. that to save your life, all you got to do is lose it. Live in total surrender. I've asked one of our elders, Steve Item, Steve, if you would uh, come forward this morning to share with us his testimony. We've seen the testimony of Jesus in Luke 23, and we get a very clear sense of what it looks like, according to Jesus, to live in total surrender down to the very last shred of our humanity. I want you to listen to Steve's testimony this morning so that you could see more clearly what living in total surrender looks like today. Go ahead, Steve. I had uh, told Trent I usually wasn't, I'm not used to reading things. But I would probably read this because if I don't, I'll get to preach it and take up his time. Uh, but anyway, a uh, very wise man one day told me as we were sitting discussing things that everyone will struggle with one certain thing all of their life. His, he admitted, was overeating. Growing up very poor, uh, he would overeat when there was plenty because later on in the week, there may be nothing. All his life, he had to battle that strong desire. And he explained to me, he said, Steve, you know, I've watched people uh, suffer. I've watched people struggle, you know, with guilt, with... uh, just all sorts of things that we face in life. Uh, Jealousy, hate, sorrow. And these people struggle with these things all their life. All their life. Mine struggle for my entire life, and it is still my struggle to this day, is depression. Now, Years ago, I would have never admitted that because why? Because I'm 
playing the game of who's a man, right? But we know that's not true. We know that there's nothing to that. And so it still is the thing that bothers me the most. In all my life, since early teenager, I asked God, why am I the way that I am? Going from just hatred and fear and uh, anger and then down to deep sorrow because of that. And I wanted an answer. Many of you realize, many of you understand and know that several months ago, I got my answer. The answer was a total mental breakdown to where I was ready to take my own life. Anyone who knows me knows that when I say something, is I usually mean it. Uh, because I don't, I don't say much. And so I ended up in a controlled hospital for 10 days on 24-hour suicide watch. After that, I spent three months with therapy, five hours every day. Every day. Excuse me. During this time, with the help of God, and of course you, let me remind you that you you drug me in off the street in 1977. Taught me how to act, think. You're still here for me right now, Mr. Heath, Mr. Howe. You're still here. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 10, or verses 7 through 10. God gave me my answer through my wife, Susie, who coached me through this terrible period of my life. It says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. Yes, I am depressed, and I have been all my life. Now, I'm not crazy. I'm depressed. All right. For those of you that don't understand that, you never will. And I hope you don't find out what it is. Okay? I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties, For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's what God showed me these many months. You tried to do it your way all this time. 
Everyone struggles with something all their life. Some certain thing you are struggling right now. I could assure you that we all struggle. Surrender that thorn to Christ and you will find your life. What a powerful testimony of the truths that God teaches us in His Word. I removed my podium because I wanted you to be able to take a look at these crosses we've got on stage. As this series has progressed, we have kept adding to the crosses that you get to see while we're, while we're in service together. And on these crosses, we've identified some strongholds. You got to hear Steve's, the stronghold of depression and how total surrender helped him find his life. And I want to challenge you this morning, church family, if you still struggle with the stronghold of pride, it's because you have not totally surrendered your life to God. If you still struggle with the stronghold of feeling like you have nothing to offer, it's because you have not totally surrendered to God. If you still struggle with the stronghold of insecurity or the stronghold of fear or that your life is too far gone or that you believe lies from the enemy, the truth is that you have not totally surrendered. And what this all boils down to, the crux of the matter, is that we all struggle with emptiness. Every single one of us. And when we have a stronghold in our life, what's happening is we're trying to fill this void in our life with something to numb the void or distract us from the void or or to fill the void artificially, even if it's just for a moment. But the only way we get our emptiness filled, the only way we get victorious in our life is when we totally surrender all of our broken pieces over to the power and majesty of the God of the universe. And in total surrender, He takes our broken pieces and puts them back together and fills our emptiness with His Spirit's presence and power. And in so doing, He brings us literally from death to life. As I was reflecting on this, and as you're looking at this cross, you can see there's so many broken, miscolored, not matching pieces. And that's a beautiful testimony to the power and majesty of God. It doesn't matter what your pieces look like. Red, yellow, black, or white. Every single human being is precious in the sight of God. Every single human being is loved by God. And God desires your complete and total deliverance. And He's waiting on you to surrender completely and totally to Him. I'm going to close 
with the prayer. And I'm going to offer you the opportunity to respond. And I challenge you, God, God is doing something unique in our church because there are those of you in the audience that have not completely and totally surrendered. And I don't want you to miss one more moment of all that God has planned for you. And I challenge you to bring your brokenness and your emptiness to the God who can put you back together and completely fill you with His Spirit. We also have set up a couple of places in the front of the auditorium and also in the back of the auditorium. As you leave today, uh, or even if you feel compelled to do this while you respond, we've got some pieces of wood set up in front and in back that I want you to pick up and take with you to memorialize and to help you remember your discipleship and to help you remember that total surrender is required. And if we were to take all those chips of wood in the front and in the back and assemble them together, we could make the shape of a cross. And as a church, that's our lifestyle, a cross-bearing lifestyle. I never want you to forget that. And if you need to totally surrender today so that you can be mended by God, after I pray, I invite you guys to stand while we sing and let God totally change your life today. Let's bow. Precious Heavenly Father, you are so great and awesome and worthy of our praise. And everyone all across the world is loved by you. And you desire each person to be set free. Red, yellow, black, and white. It doesn't matter our background, our social class, the color of our skin, or any of our other features. You love us all. God, I pray that any person here who has not been mended, their brokenness has not been mended, and their emptiness has not been filled would be willing to totally surrender finally to you and experience the healing and filling that they've longed for. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Please stand.